Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, November 16th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Vandalista. Hello. Okay, so... We have a lot of news to get to. Now that we only do like one of these news episodes a week uh, and the election is over, it seems like a, a flood of news has come in and uh, we actually have a lot of like interesting little bits to, to get to. Let's start first with Zack Snyder's Justice League. Today we learned that uh, – well, Ben, why don't you just tell me about it? What, what did we learn? Yeah, there's a lot. So Zack Snyder participated in an interview for probably like close to two hours. I'm not sure exactly how long he was participating, but there's this very, re- really long uh, YouTube interview. And I, I pulled several bits from there. So I, all of the interesting stuff from it uh, has been condensed into this article that you can read at slashfilm.com and in the show notes of this episode. But um, one of the I guess interesting things that he talked about was a plan to potentially split Justice League into two movies. And to be clear, this is different from when Justice League was initially announced like years and years and years ago, because the official plan back then was for Zack Snyder to make two separate Justice League movies. 
that were called, I think they were supposed to be officially called Justice League Part 1 and Justice League Part 2. So by the time uh, the version, the theatrical version of Justice League was actually in production on the set, um, I think, Peter, you visited the set of that movie and, and found out that like that plan seemed to be scaled back to just one movie at the, at the time that that was filming. Like the, the idea of splitting it into two films had been essentially canceled at that point, I think. Um, yes, that's correct. So now in this new interview, uh, Snyder sort of complicates things a little bit by basically talking about a different plan to split <laughs> Justice League into two movies. But he was talking about his theatrical version. So he said um, the mandate uh, from the studio, he's talking about the mandate was make the movie two hours long. I cannot show them a four hour version of the movie. I did have this idea where, oh, maybe we could just split it in half and make two two hour movies. (laughs) My first idea was you show two hours and then there's like a month break and then the next two hours come out. So uh, that was an interesting potential plan. How does this happen? How does this happen, Ben? Because like, the studio reads the script, right? And they like give a green light to the script. And Snyder's movies are always like the first cut, the director's cut, which is usually honestly, usually the better movie um, is usually way, way longer than the theatrical cut that Warner Brothers usually releases. So how do we always find ourselves in a situation where Warner Brothers is like yelling at Zack Snyder to get it down to two hours <laughs> when they could have just like been like, why don't we cut this out of the script? Yeah, I, my guess, and I don't know, um, I wonder if we'll ever know the true answer to that question. But my guess, if I had to guess, I would say that they probably gave the green light based on a treatment and not the full script. Uh, and this is one of those projects where maybe things were being worked out sort of like on the fly or like up till the last minute, you know, um, and then also or, or maybe even during production, they were right. writing stuff. And yeah. then also like the mandate about the two hours thing. I'm guessing that came in the wake of the response to Batman versus Superman. I'm pretty sure that's what those early <laughs> reports said back in like 2016, 2017. So I, I think maybe the studio was more open to an idea of a longer version. And then as soon as Batman versus Superman came out and like the the reaction happened around that movie. I'm guessing they were like, okay, we need to tighten this up. Um, so that, that could be part of the reason there. There's several other things he talks about um, the movie in this new interview. He talks about the movie being structured as having six chapters, even though it's going to be released in four parts on HBO max. So like, I'm kind of confused about that. Like what the hell is going on? He talks about working with Jared Leto's Joker a little bit. Well, I Um, I actually have clarification on that one. I think, okay. I believe that it's going to be released in four parts. The first of which are going to be the first two chapters. Wait, that still doesn't make any sense. Okay. never mind. I don't have any clarification. Yeah. I'm just, I'm wondering like what the, the, what the flow of that is going to be like, are we going to get, you know, a a part that's like interrupted midway through by an episode break or something? I, am not, I'm not entirely sure how that works. Um, but I guess the, the other part that might be worth talking about briefly here is that he says that his ideal presentation for the movie is a black and white IMAX version of I guess the Snyder cut of Justice League, whatever the hell we're calling this thing these days. He says that to me is the most fan centric, most pure, most Justice League experience. Um, So, you know, how many people in the world are actually going to get to experience (laughs) the black and white IMAX version of this movie? Uh, Who I have no idea. I don't even know if they're even talking about like releasing it that way. Um, he, he did, you know, he was talking to this interviewer and he was like, I can't wait until you see it in IMAX. So I don't know if he, I don't know if there are some sort of plans that haven't been fully announced yet. Um, you know, maybe he's talking about the IMAX ratio. 
the calf I, ratio? Yeah, it could be. It very well could be. Um, but it, it seems like he, you know, his ideal version is like actually literally sitting in an IMAX theater and watching a black and white version of this thing, which like we were talking in our Slack channel about like a black and white version of a, you know, a poppy sort of superhero thing. Like the, the whole point of these characters back in the day was like bright colors and like, you know, uh, uh, whatever, appealing to children in, in a, in a way with like these really um, dynamic worlds. And like Zack Snyder has clearly uh, desaturated a lot of his, uh, the imagery for these movies. And it seems like he's, <laughs> his personal preference would be to desaturate it all the way down to where it's just black and white remaining. I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. There have been some filmmakers in recent memory that have released black and white versions of their movies, like uh, George Miller's uh, The Mad Max movie, Fury Road. W- wasn't there another one? Was it like I think a Logan Tarantino? Did one? Oh, Logan, yeah. But I think both of those were intended. Like the the filmmakers had originally like hoped to release them in black and white, and the studio was like, no one will go see that. So they like had to make them in color. Like here, he made a color movie. And because he's been sitting at home looking at this like non-color graded version of the film, which he shows to people in black and white because it hasn't been color graded and it looks horrible if it's not black and white. Um, if you've ever seen non-color graded like film footage. Uh, so he's gotten so used to it in black and white. So now he wants to like people to see it in black and white. I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And, and he talks about a trailer that's coming out tomorrow. And it's unclear to me whether the trailer that is going to be released is actually going to be in black and white. So I guess we'll just have to wait until tomorrow to find out the answer to that mystery. Chris, where do you fall on like the black and white releases of films? Like not films that were shot in black and white. Um, I, I, I guess it really depends on, on the film. Like I remember... I was really skeptical when they announced that uh, Mad Max Fury Road was getting a black and white release because that movie is so, you know, like colorful. There's so many colors in that film, but I actually thought the black and white version of that was uh, pretty interesting. It, it kind of made for a different um, viewing experience and uh, the same sort of thing happened with like Logan. And um, I haven't watched uh, the parasite black and white cut yet, but I know there is like a black oh, yeah. cut of that too. So oh, I forgot I, about that. Yeah, I, I think it, uh, it really depends on. <sighs> Look, if it, if it's like a good filmmaker, it can work. <laughs> Zack Snyder makes really like muddled looking, digital messy stuff, so I can't really imagine it looking that great. But what do I know? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't watched any of these black and white movies like you, so I have no. Uh, basis to talk on this from but like it seems like pretentious bullshit to me (laughs) like around i don't know like like the movie was shot in color like if you're shooting in black and white like you're making choices of what is in the blackness that can't be recovered do you know what i mean like it's it's like artistic choices of like this is the way i want this film presented but i mean i guess you're making the artistic choices in the color grading of a black and white film i don't think it's the same though Oh, ben, where do you fall on that? Uh, yeah, I have not watched any of these uh, recent color versions, but I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like, um, you know, if it's something like uh, the Coen brothers made a movie a long time ago, I don't remember the name of it, with Billy Bob Thornton, where there was a, a black and white movie. Was it the, the man who wasn't there, really there. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is, you know, speaks to what you're talking about, Peter. Like, all those choices, you can tell in the cinematography, those are made, you know, in, in the moment or, like, in advance, uh, specifically for that format. And the stuff, you know, the conversion afterwards um 
I, I don't know. It, I'm sure there's a place for it and I'm sure people love it. I just, uh, I, I have not been drawn to check out any of those myself. Yeah. I think the studios are cowards. They should let the filmmakers film these films in black and white. And then later, the stu- when it's successful, the studios can release a colorized version, which looks all wonky. I think that'd be good. <laughs> that, that, that's the way it should be. Uh, no, there was also a story we published last week. I believe Brad wrote this up uh, talking about how many how many extra minutes because they did this additional photography. They even had Jared Leto come back as the Joker uh, for this additional photography. I had assumed that it was going to be like would get like 15, 20 more minutes of footage like from this new new photography. But I guess Snyder says it's only only going to add up to four or five minutes. Yeah, he said, I will say that in the end, it's probably going to be about four minutes or five minutes of additional photography for the entire movie in the four hours that is Justice League, maybe four minutes, Um, which, yeah, that's that's very surprising to me. And uh, I mean, you know, he said before about how little I don't think he's going to use any of the footage that Joss Whedon shot in the reshoots. I think his plan is to use only footage that he you know, that he and his cinematographer captured like when he was still uh, literally on the set of the project back then, back in the day. Um, and then, you know, combine that with these reshoots, which I guess is only going to add up to a few minutes of footage. That's really <laughs> crazy to me that like HBO Max is spending tens of millions of dollars to uh, essentially just add five minutes of brand new stuff and then just let him, you know, that really, I think, speaks to what you're talking about, Peter, like how expensive and time consuming it is to um make a a non-finished movie look finished like you know all of that yeah. all those tens of millions of dollars for the most part it sounds like they're going to color grading and you know re-editing existing footage so um you know i, I still like for people who want to like get involved in the semantics like the the snyder cut did not exist in in the way that people <laughs> yeah. swear that it did but uh all of this money is allowing him to make it so now yeah, I also want to say, to be fair, four or five minutes could be like a complete scene, but it probably isn't that. It's probably like very small bits and pieces, right? Like it's probably like a 10 second clip of Superman coming out of a spaceship or, you know, you know, I'm just making stuff up. Right. But like, yeah, it, it, it's probably in the grand scheme of things, it, even though it's only five minutes, it could be, you know, 100 different shots or 100 different things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what we're going to have to see. Uh, I, I guess. uh this will be left for scholars in the future to decipher, like, you know, what's new, what was reshot. We're going to have the eventual book. We're going to have, like, the uh, HBO Max special edition, which will be in black and white and IMAX somehow in your home where <laughs> Snyder tells you what shot is from where. That's the future that we're looking forward to, I guess. I guess. I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, another story that broke last week was that the Scorpion King is coming from Dwayne Johnson. No, this is not, um, you know, news from 20 years ago or whenever. There's a new Scorpion King movie in the works. Chris, tell us about it. Yes, I'm, I am I don't really know who this is for, but uh, back in the old days, a, a few decades ago, there was this movie called The Mummy, directed by Stephen Summers, and that spawned sequels, and it also spawned some spinoffs, and the spinoffs were the Scorpion King movies. Um, also, uh the Scorpion King was introduced in The Mummy Returns, where he was played by Dwayne Johnson for approximately a minute. And then the rest of the movie, he's this really awful looking 
cartoon CGI character. Anyway, the, the Scorpion King movies were the backstory on that character. Uh, and now there's going to be uh, a reboot. And it's also going to be set in, in modern day for some reason, which <laughs> I, I just I really don't understand what's going on here. But Dwayne Johnson is back, which is interesting because, you know, he eventually left the series. They kept making like direct to dvd sequels without him but now he's coming back to the series uh and yeah we, we don't really know a whole lot about it we just know that it's a contemporary take set in modern time so i don't know if it's supposed to be like the same scorpion king or if it's like his great 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 great, great, great grandson or something i i don't know what's going <laughs> I really on i hope it's that <laughs> i i really hope it's like like dwayne johnson should be playing like a normal guy and then someone's like by the way you're descended from the scorpion king and he'll be like <laughs> what and then like i feel good starts playing on the soundtracks like something i want like, like, like a really like, cheesy like 90s style comedy where where like julian johnson is like a normal boring guy he's like a librarian and then someone tells him he's descended from the scorpion king and hilarity ensues. I think they're looking for a new actor to play the the main part, but I would not be surprised at all if Johnson like actually shows up in this thing because he's so don't, associated with that. Don't ruin my dreams, Ben. In my in my dream <laughs> version of this this movie, Dwayne Johnson is is in it and he's he's playing a librarian who discovers he's the Scorpion King. Now, Chris, you you were a fan of the Universal Monsters movies. You even uh, were excited for the Dark Universe. I sure was. <laughs> uh do you have any interest in this movie uh if it turns out to be exactly like i just said it was then yes but uh otherwise no um i liked the first steven summers mummy movie uh i thought the sequel was really bad i never even bothered to see the scorpion king film so i don't really have any attachment it's not like the Scorpion King is like a classic character it's someone they made up for dwayne johnson to show up in the movie for so i don't you know, I, I don't have much attachment to the character as, as as is. Okay, let's talk about movies. You know, uh, we've been talking about like, you know, what what is coming to theaters? What is not coming to theaters? It seems like most of the big movies have been delayed till at this point, like next summer. I, there's some stuff in March, if that holds. But one of the biggest movies of them all is Wonder Woman 1984. And that's still scheduled for... December 25th. What is going on with that, Ben? Yeah, so we're still waiting. I mean, like any minute now, I expect some sort of announcement from Warner Brothers about the future of Wonder Woman 1984. But uh, some reports came out recently that um, there's some, I guess, debate within uh, Warner Brothers about what to do with the movie. So uh, a couple reports uh, are sort of conflicting here. One of them said that Warner Brothers was currently considering a uh, potential release of Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max after it's in theaters for one or two weeks. And then pretty much right after that, another report said that the studio was actually considering releasing it on HBO Max day and date with the theatrical release on Christmas Day. Um there is also another uh, potential outcome where they move the entire thing all the way to June 4th of 2021. So it seems like those are the three choices right now. Um, and I'm very curious to see which option they go with here because, you know, movie theaters are are desperate for money basically to, to stay alive. <laughs> and 
um, a th- a th- uh, theoretically, a theatrical release for Wonder Woman 1984 around Christmas would help them out a lot. But uh, as anybody who pays attention to the news probably knows, we are in you know a third wave of the coronavirus and things are worse now than they've literally ever been in terms of the pandemic. So, um, you know, with movie theaters shutting down, you know, back at, you know, you thought it was bad, like back in, in March, like we're way beyond that now. So the idea of people um, going out and, and, you know, now going and making the decision of let's bring the whole family and go out to the movies just seems sort of unlikely. So I think that's part of the reason that they're considering just doing this day and date thing. Uh, and then the whole thing about like putting it directly onto HBO Max is because that streaming service, I guess, evidently is not doing as well as the people at AT&T were sort of hoping that it would. So this would obviously give it a massive boost if that was like the exclusive, you know, the only place where you could watch Wonder Woman 1984 is HBO Max. So there are a lot of things sort of swirling around right now. And we're, as ever, just waiting to see which option they choose. It's just crazy to me. If you had like rewound to the beginning of this year and told me that theater owners would be okay with Wonder Woman 1984 being on HBO Max a few weeks after it hit theaters. Like, I'd be like, no, you're insane. Not only that, like, it's possibly day and date. (laughs) It's like, like, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we we were in unforeseen uh, circumstances here. But uh, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think they'll actually delay this like i feel like this is too big of a movie to put on a streaming platform but i don't know i would have said that about a pixar movie and that you know went direct to disney plus yeah i i think i think it's man it really i i wish i had a better window into what the executives thought exactly what they thought about hbo max because if they're if they're really trying to um I mean, this is like the perfect way to add huge value to that service for people and to really like put it on the map in a way that it hasn't been before. Because I actually love HBO Max, but I think there's a lot of confusion out there in the general public about still about like who has it and, and you know, what exactly is a part of it and all that kind of stuff, because the the branding of the thing is just so... Um, you know, was so fraught and like doesn't really make a ton of sense with the, with the way that they you know, chose HBO and then like you have the whole confusion with HBO go and HBO now and all of that stuff. So, I mean, I, I understand that like it didn't make the big splash that they wanted it to when it debuted. And this would be a great way to do that. But again, this movie is so expensive that like from a purely financial standpoint, it makes the most sense to me to just bump it to next summer and I hope that things are better, you know, then, um, but I, I'm really curious to see if they're willing to sort of take the, the financial blow in the in the short term and trade that for, you know, added value to HBO Max. You also have to think about the demographic of what kind of subscribers it's going to bring to the platform. I'm sure a film like Wonder Woman will bring like a large female audience to HBO Max, where as I'm assuming, you know, this is probably bad assumptions by me, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm assuming Justice League is going to be a largely male audience. So maybe there's a benefit there as well. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I didn't really think about it in terms of that that stark a difference, but I, I suppose the the numbers might bear out that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move on. We're already going way long. This episode's gonna be a long one, guys. Uh, okay. So let's talk about Christopher Nolan. We've we've joked for some time of how Christopher Nolan only wants you to see his movie in a big IMAX theater, and he'd probably be crying if you watched his films on on your phone at your house or like you know on a train on your phone. Uh, but I guess someone's actually asked Christopher Nolan about this. Chris, tell us about it. Yes. In in Christopher Nolan's defense, he's never actually been quoted as saying, like, if you watch one of my movies on a phone, I'm going to come to your house and kill you. But that's that's sort of been just like the the takeaway that's that's cropped up just because he's so devoted to the theatrical experience. And that 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 theory was kind of underscored this year when a lot of people were like, why won't he just release Tenet on VOD and and uh, you know, he refused to, to, to do that. So <laughs> and, and it's also been kind of like, I want to say anti-technology. I'm not sure if that's framing him badly in that he doesn't even have a cell phone of his own. Right. So, <laughs> so he, I think people kind of like look at him as the, yeah, he, only has, um, he has carrier pigeons. He lets them loose <laughs> from inside his coat and they deliver messages. But there's a new book coming out called the Nolan variations uh, by the author, his name, Tom Schoen. And, uh, the author just flat out asked Christopher Nolan this question, you know, do you have a problem watching with people watching your movies on phones and stuff like that? And the answer is no, he doesn't have a problem. Although there is sort of like a caveat um, here. Here's the, the direct quote. <clears throat> the reason I don't have a problem with it is because it's put into these big theaters as its primary form or its initial distribution. And the experience trickles down to the extent where if you have an iPod pad or you're watching a movie, you carry with you the knowledge and your understanding of what that cinematic experience would be. So basically, he's fine with it as long as the movie gets an initial theatrical release. In other words, you know, don't expect there to be a Christopher Nolan, uh, you know, Netflix movie anytime soon. It boils down to as long as, you know, it, it's made for the theatrical experience and it gets its big screen release, he really doesn't care how you watch it after that. So, you know, I, I think this is a, this is a myth along with the Christopher Nolan Hayes chairs theory that was going around a few months ago that we can, <laughs> we can finally put to bed. Uh, you know, he, he's not as, as stuffy as everyone seems to think he is. Yeah, there, there's also a story last week about Christopher Nolan on, uh, you know, his sound design, because a lot of people have complained about his sound design. I remember seeing Interstellar at, uh, I, I'm not sure if it was the premiere, it was the first screening of it. It was at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood, and I audibly couldn't understand, like, key moments of the movie because of what, you know, people were saying on screen. And I, Nolan recently commented on this, Ben? Yeah, specifically about the sound design of Interstellar. He said, we got a lot of complaints. I actually got calls from other filmmakers who would say, I just saw your film and the dialogue is inaudible. Uh, some people thought <laughs> maybe the music's too loud, but the truth was it was kind of the whole enchilada of how we had chosen to mix it. So he basically Wait, was so, like... So, so, so then Christopher Nolan went on to say it was a mistake how we mixed it. We, 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 we we went back and fixed it and like you know the people that saw the film including filmmakers who have great knowledge into the situation were right and we should, should have been you know uh more traditional in our 
in our choices. Uh, the exact opposite, Peter. He said, uh, <laughs> I was a little shocked to realize how conservative people are when it comes to sound, because you can make a film that looks like anything. You can shoot on your iPhone. No one's going to complain. But if you mix the sound a certain way, or if you use certain sub frequencies, people get up in arms. He, he called it a very, very radical mix on Interstellar. So um, I, I think this just comes down to like a difference of opinion, really. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, sure. Yeah. If you want to go ahead and, and make these sort of like uh, experimental choices in your massive ass blockbuster movies, then go for it. But like, I don't think he can be um, surprised or like feel, you know, slighted or miffed in any way when people complain about not being able to, you know, understand basic dialogue in a movie. Um, so, but he's not, he's not making experimental films. Like you said, he's making massive ass blockbuster movies. <laughs> I know. I, I, it's, I mean, you know, part of me, I, a, a, a driving part of me is like, dude, just make this stuff audible. Like, you know, take your, your eccentricities and shove them and just, you know, let people understand what your characters are trying to say. And then there's another part of me that it's like, you know what, go for it, man. Like, uh, you know, these eccentricities, these, these sort of idiosyncrasies that, that certain filmmakers bring to uh, big screen experiences, like, you know, that's kind of what makes them special in a way. And like, I, I, who am I to tell him to sand down the edges of his creative vision? If that's what he wants it to sound like, then fucking go for it. Just be prepared <laughs> when all of us complain that we can't understand what the hell Bane is saying or whatever. I just think this is like the weird rock to like fall on or like, you know, it's, it's like, I would agree that there are some things that people are way too conservative in. Like, uh, you know, I know 3d filmmaking is kind of on a decline or, or, not even non-existent at this time but i think that is because so many filmmakers were so conservative in what they were doing with 3d filmmaking and i even think with dobie and dobie atmos and stuff like that like i feel like around the time of jurassic park when dts came out like the surround sound was like so incredible and i feel like filmmakers have kind of like they play it too safe nowadays with like surround sound uh I mean, I don't have a great surround sound system in my house, so and I haven't been into a theater since March, so I don't <laughs> really remember, Peter. It's sad for me to say I don't remember <laughs> what that yeah. experience is truly like, but... Well, um, let me say this. Like, when you go to a movie theater, when you did go to a movie theater a year ago, Ben, and you remember that IMAX intro, you remember that Dobie intro mm -hmm. that, like, you know, rain was falling around you, that was always, like, sounds so incredible, and then you watch the film, and it, nothing sounded as good as that, and I know that's a demo, and that's, like, to its maximum you know uh gimmickness mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like i feel like nobody like everybody's just playing it too safe in that realm but like i want to hear what people are saying yeah yeah i'm kind of right there with you and i know we're going long but chris i want to go back real quick and, and talk about the, the previous nolan thing um the the do you think this is a philosophical choice like the, the idea of him just saying you know as long as it plays in a theater it it sounds to me like that quote he's saying like uh, he's almost like using like an inception level theory where, where he's saying that like people can imagine because it's intended for a theater, people can imagine the theatrical experience in their own heads. And like they theoretically wouldn't be able to do something like that with a Netflix movie. Do you think that that's kind of what he's saying there? Am I reading that right? I guess I honestly don't. <laughs> It just boils down to me, like I, I think that's that's as close as to what he's trying to say as, as possible. What you just said, I mean, otherwise, I don't even know what he could be talking about if that isn't what he's 
he's he's trying to imply there i don't know he's a weird guy he's i i don't i really know what what to make of this christopher nolan fellow he's a strange one (laughs) you you know i'm not sure this is what he's saying but i do get that there is an in there is a intrinsic uh, there's a uh there's a value that we as people put on things and when something is a theatrical film I think we do value that more than like, you know, a direct to Disney plus movie. Mm -hmm. And maybe we, because of that value, we anticipate it more. We get excited for it more. We want it to be be like, do you know what I mean? Maybe there's something like uh, in how we perceive and actually watch something that because we, you know, because we have to pay for it and we have to go to the th- like because, you know, that someone actually had to go to the theater and pay for it and buy popcorn and stuff. Like that. Maybe like there's more of like, you know, you put more attention towards it. And you're not on your phone while it's playing. And like maybe there's something like that. Or yeah, do you think I I'm think reaching? No, I think it's a combination of that. And like the fact that, you know, somebody somewhere went to see this in a movie theater and I as a consumer have been in a movie theater. So therefore, even if I watch this movie on my phone, I can place myself mentally inside a movie theater and like, you know, project the experience of what it was like to see this movie in a theater. I think that's kind of what he's getting at. I don't know. It's very strange. So sorry, we can move on. I don't, I don't mean to drag this out any longer. I want to hear what Christopher Nolan thinks of like the VR goggles. I'm not sure if either of you have done this, but there are ways to watch movies where you are you feel like you're sitting in a movie theater or you feel like you're sitting in an IMAX. Uh, theater and it's like the screen like you can actually watch your tv and stuff like this and it like actually feels like you're in like like i don't know i I, i'm wondering what he (laughs) what what his feelings are on that because uh i don't know i'm just very curious but uh okay let's move on we have a bunch of other stuff to talk about today uh short circuit remake is being developed yet again chris what do we know yeah so short circuit it came out in 1986 uh it's about a robot that gets hit by lightning and comes to life and it becomes like a cool robot. I guess you could say not just like a, a boring robot. He's a really cool robot. Uh, and they made a <laughs> sequel to it. Um, and uh, they've been trying to, to sort of remake this for a while. At one point, the director of uh, Paul Blart mall cop was going to direct it. And then the director of hop, which is an animated movie. I don't think anyone even remembers, but he was going to direct it. And now, um, there's yet another uh, potential remake in the works. Um, there's no director attached at the moment, but we do know that this remake is going to have a uh, Latin American slash Hispanic American take on the material. Um, not really sure what that entails exactly, but that's how this is being pitched at the moment. So there you have it. So, so it's going to be all about Johnny five when he went into the urban environment and then, uh, uh, stereotypically uh, insulted an entire uh, race of people by like uh, I don't know uh, impersonating them. Boy, I hope not because that'll that'll get a lot of uh, bad reaction. I, I really hope that's not what they're doing here. No. Um, one thing that strikes me weird about Short Circuit is if you go back and you watch the original Short Circuit, it was a m- movie made for adults. But I feel like the idea of like this life-size robot appealed to a lot of children and it became a movie that a lot of children watched. Do you think th- this new remake, do you think what kind of take do you think they're going to go on it? Do you, like, do you think this will be more 
made for children or do you I, think i'm sure it'll be more of like a family i like i really doubt they're gonna make like a adult <laughs> short circuit yeah. at this point but maybe a very like gritty violent short circuit that's why <laughs> adults but, I mean, only if, but you agree though that original movie is not made for kids right i've like, actually like, never seen short circuit oh uh, really or, or it's i've seen like clips you know i'm aware of johnny five and i'm aware that fisher stevens wears brown face which is very uh unfortunate you know i'm aware of what goes on in those movies but i've never actually seen them or if i did see them i like watch it was like on tv when i was a kid and i, I blocked out the experience so i don't have the i don't have really like um the freshest memories of short recall circuit. picture perfect recall yeah, short I did. Circuit. <laughs> unfortunately i wish i did my life would be so much better if i did ben do you have any love for short circuit i think i saw it as a kid and and really don't remember much of it at all but um what you're talking about it sort of reminded me of like how robocop became like a, a kid's cartoon after the original like you know not <laughs> not that the original short circuit was uh, ever uh, like a hard r violent satire yeah. like the original robocop but um, yeah, that, that tonal shift is, uh, is definitely there. Yeah. There, there, there's like been a lot of examples of that. Like toxic Avenger is like a really R rated movie from, uh, Tromo pictures. And they, they made, didn't they make a cartoon of that? I believe yeah. there was like the, the toxic Avengers or the something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, we have two more stories to talk about today. Uh, one hit last Friday and this is, they are making a live action remake of lilo and stitch ben what do we know yeah this is actually announced uh in 2018 uh we we discovered that disney was uh planning a remake um you know as they have been doing for years now their whole like strategy basically in in the film world is remaking the uh live action or remaking in live action the animated classics that they had and now we know that uh, john m chu the filmmaker behind crazy rich asians and the upcoming in the heights is in negotiations to direct uh, this live action version of lilo and stitch so uh there was talk at one point that this could go directly to disney plus now it's unclear whether or not it's going to go straight to Disney plus or if it's going to be released theatrically. Um, but uh, a new writer is being brought on to work with uh, John M. Chu on the script for this thing. Um, you know, he's a, a solid filmmaker. So, uh, you know, in that respect, like, yeah, more power to him. Uh, he, I think was just recently, uh, had signed on to direct the TV series version of Willow for Disney plus. So he has a relationship with Disney already. Um, in terms of Lilo and Stitch, like I know that people love this thing and I'm, I know that I'm like very much on the outside looking in <laughs> on this, but I really did not care for that film very much. I think it, it's, it just felt really cheap to me. It felt like a, a direct to DVD, you know, era, uh, Disney movie. And I know that they, they took some choice, you know, some, some stylistic chances with the, um, uh, watercolor paintings in the, in the background and stuff like that. Uh, and we talked about this when I talked about watching it on the water cooler, how like, you know, there was a, I think it it, it was animated at like a, a studio that wasn't the the traditional Disney studio. It was like one of the sort of like uh, satellite studios that, that didn't have as much, uh, you know, as many resources devoted yeah. to it. So you can sort of like feel that in the movie. And to me, it just sort of feels like a lesser Disney property, but, uh, and, and especially like Lilo and Stitch in live action, like it, it just seems, um, <laughs> You know, obviously Stitch is going to have to be CG and then Lilo, you're going to have to find like the perfect person to play this character who is like, I don't, it just seems like a very, very challenging prospect to me. So, I mean, I wish John Chu the best of luck, um, but I just don't know if it's going to be a successful adaptation. 
I would think with John Chu involved that it would be a big, uh, like a uh, theatrical film. But, you know, nowadays, who knows, especially with Disney Plus and what they're doing. Um, I will say this, Ben, uh, like or hate Lilo and Stitch, I do think this is a good example of a film that like, like could have potential because like there isn't a lot of story there. You know what I mean? It's about this alien that's being chased by what a government agency. Is that correct? I think so. Uh, Or like, yeah, like the men in black, basically, if I remember right. (laughs) I mean, it's very ET. There's so very, there's so very loose stuff there. Like it really, the only thing you really need to get right is the character of stitch and how cute he is. And now he's kind of like this little blue monster thing. And, you know, Lilo uh, and her background, but I and I guess obviously the music. But aside from that, I don't feel like you have to like stick so stringently to like the animated adaptation. And that might be the 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 benefit here. Yeah, I think that's right. And like the, you know, the story takes place in Hawaii. So if you actually go to Hawaii and shoot it, you could have some pretty gorgeous backdrops. And that would definitely like, you know, help with my issue of like the the backdrop of the animated movie. It's just the that relationship between those two lead characters is um it seems very, very difficult to capture in live action. So uh, I'll be curious to see whether this one actually ever ends up getting off the ground or if this is just one of those that gets announced, but nothing ever happens. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we have one last story for today. This one hit right before we were about to record, and that is Judd Apatow is leaving Universal to make his first streaming movie. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so the movie is untitled. Uh, Judd Apatow, every single movie that he's directed so far has been at Universal, and now he's going to make a film for Netflix. It's untitled, and it is uh, the the plot is that it follows a group of actors and actresses stuck inside a pandemic bubble at a hotel attempting to complete a film. So uh, Judd Apatow is making a pandemic comedy. Um, No casting decisions have been made yet, but... Evidently, there are a, a ton of juicy roles that uh, and I'll read from the, the report here could lead to an all star ensemble that could rival Knives Out and the Disaster Artist. So, I mean, that's pretty like standard for a Judd Apatow comedy, like tons of funny people, you know, coming in and, and uh, you know, <laughs> having cameos or, or playing supporting roles. Um, Apatow is, is going to write the screenplay alongside Pam Brady, who wrote uh, Team America World Police and Hot Rod and the South Park movie. Um, so he's got some, uh, some good company in terms of, uh, writing the script. Um, you know, I, uh, we've talked about this a ton of times already on the podcast. I just, uh, anything involving the pandemic, I'm kind of like wary <laughs> of like, all right, really, we're going to like, you're going to ask me to immerse myself in a fictional world that, that tackles this, um, while we're still living it and actually are in the worst part of it than it's ever been right now. So, uh, who knows when this is actually going to come out, but um, and, and it's not to say that it can't be done well. Um, uh, it's just, uh, anytime I see a project announced these days that has the pandemic involved, I'm always like, my eyebrow raises a little bit and I'm just like, ah, all right, well, let's see what you got. Like, are you going to be able to, you know, overcome one of the worst periods in American history, uh, you know, with your story that you're telling. So, uh, it sort of seems like a, a challenge that people are putting on themselves, but, um, if Judd Apatow is ready for it, then uh, I, I look forward to seeing what he does. Yeah, and it looks like Apatow is doing Netflix because Universal is not prepared to, you know, crank a movie like this out. And this is, uh, what do you call this? I, I guess topical? And it, yeah. it needs to be come out come out now, or at least in his mind. And the, I don't know, the interesting thing here, I think, 
is that it's not taking on the pandemic. I mean, it is using the pandemic as a situation in the situational comedy in, in a way, but like, I don't think it's going to be about the pandemic, which is good. I mean, maybe I could be wrong. Uh, what I'm wondering is, will because this they're making a movie inside a hotel, so it's a movie within a movie, and there's going to have a you know huge cast of actors that like you know big name people. I'm wondering if they're going to be playing themselves. Like this is the end, because hmm. that could be funny. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm not like you know uh, conceptually opposed to to such a degree that i'll just never watch anything pandemic related i i think if i think you're right like if it is if they are if they manage to you know put an interesting twist on it or something like that um or just like make it funny and and somehow like uh escapist even even though it does have the pandemic sort of as a backdrop um which is a fine line to walk but i feel like judd apatow, judd apatow could actually pull it off um then yeah i'll, I'll be excited to watch it but I, i'm just sort of you know, at this early stage of like the the announcement was just made, and we don't really know who else is involved yet. I'm still sort of uh, I'm I'm keeping this one at arm's length for now. The the other good thing I think is that it takes place in this bubble in this hotel, which means that people aren't going to be wearing masks the entire movie. Which you know, I I kind of refuse to watch that movie, but yeah, you know, I got to wear a mask my entire you know the, this entire year. You know, I don't want to watch people on screen where I can't understand them underneath their masks and not like you know see their expressions and stuff. Wow, but it's imagine, a choice. I was just thinking, just imagine a Christopher Nolan movie where everyone's wearing masks. People don't oh, understand no. what they're saying. Yeah. It's a choice that Nolan's making. It's a radical sound mix, Peter. Uh, Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. I, I do want to say thank you to all the people that uh, I think last week I asked some people to write some reviews and we, we got some really good reviews. So uh, if you could, Take five seconds of your time. Go to iTunes. Write us a, a positive review. That would uh, do some good in this world. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you on Wednesday with the Water Cooler.